That was beautiful. Um, celebration, which I love. You know, sometimes we come to communion. And, you know, try going to a wedding like that, you'd be looked at strangely, right? <laughs> we, we celebrate because the bridegroom is coming back for his church. Um, thank you, Pam. Thank you, Jane. Can I just say, and I know I've already written a little bit about it in the bulletin this morning, but can we just take a moment together as a church? Would you join me in honouring the elders that we have? I'm just blown away. Um, as you've taken on communion together, um, and the way that you bring fresh life to it, the way that you care for the church, the way that you care for me, um, it's beautiful. And um, thank you for that. And I think there's prophetic significance in what we did here this morning, and especially, you know, having people come and take over and you know it's this picture that actually we do this together as a church and I'm so firmly grounded in the sense that I believe that what God is doing is not for a church leadership team or a charismatic pastor or a charismatic worship team or whatever but it's the church standing up together and um, you know yeah I was joking with um, James this morning I was reminded of Aaron who held his hands up and as he held his hands up the battle was won Uh, Moses sorry and when his hands got too heavy Aaron came along and just sort of propped them up, and so we're believing for hallelujah this morning, for victory uh, for you and your house and for our region and what God has planned uh, for this nation. Are you excited to be in the house of God this morning? It's it's so good to see some faces that we haven't seen for a while. Uh, Welcome back to Justin and Erin for your journey around Glasgow, and you know, I've followed with great jealousy on Facebook because I've seen the different photos, and all the big things in Europe and Italy, and if you want to see some photos, I'm sure they'll happily show you. Um, a lot of, a couple of Kiwis and a cow featured quite a bit. Um, so there you go. Um, I want to continue our series this morning on the Spirit, and I want to talk about gifting and anointing. Uh, I, I put a thing out last week asking whether there were any questions and didn't get a lot of feedback, if I'm perfectly honest. So I'm just going to keep preaching what's on my heart, and I got one or two little things, and so I'm sort of steering in that direction. But my goal is that I want us to understand and enter into, in a better way, um, the intimacy and the relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so if you have anything that you'd particular, particularly, particularly like me to address um, or talk about or questions around such things, uh, please feel free to let me know and I'll you know, work it in. We're on part five this morning, gifting and anointing. And by the end of this, I think you're going to have a better understanding of how those two things work together. See, I think that this church is a gifted church. I think that you are, in fact, I know that you are a gifted person, and I'm going to show you that in Scripture a little bit later. And I believe that this church is called to be an anointed church, and I believe we're seeing an outpouring of that. I believe we're starting to see that, Uh, and I just want to look at that, because as we expound that and unpack that together, I think we'll better understand what God is calling us to, and when we better understand it, we can better position ourselves to receive it. And when we can receive it, we can give it to our community. Freely you have received, freely give. So uh, the church is positioned, is called to be gifted and anointed. And when we are gifted and anointed, the Holy Spirit will move in power. The Bible says that God gives a gift to every one of us. Let's turn this morning to our opening scripture. I want to turn to 1 Corinthians 
chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's just after the book of Romans or the book of Acts. So Acts, Romans, Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're just going to read verses 1 to 7 this morning. I'm reading from the NLT. It says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us. Other translations say, regarding spiritual things, spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. I do not want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along and worshipping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, verse 4. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but it is the same Spirit that is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. Verse 7, a spiritual gift is given excuse me, to each of us. Say each of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. This is a promise not, this is a promise to the church, but as you're going to see, God has planted gifts in every single one of us to discover. And we're going to look at those as we go through. If you've got your notes this morning, we're going to fill some of those out. And if they're in your bulletin, there's a couple of blanks we'll fill out as we go. God gives a gift to every one of us. And we read in Scripture, I haven't given, I've not got this one this morning, but you can look it up for yourself. Romans, oh no, I did. Romans chapter 11, verse 29. The Bible says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. I'll read the question that was sent to me. Which was this. If the gifts of the Spirit are actually gifts, there's nothing we can do to get them except treasure them once we have them. And if they're irrevocable, so even if we don't treasure them, do we still have them? And I believe the answer to that question is yes, because the gifts of God are irrevocable. This is why you will see people who are gifted in particular areas who aren't necessarily using the gift they were given for the glory of God, which leads me to your first note this morning. It is possible to be gifted and not anointed. It is possible to be gifted but not anointed. And so we're going to expand that. We're going to look at that. See, the gift of God is irrevocable. This is your second note. The anointing is not. The gift of God is irrevocable. God has put a gift in every single one of you, and God is a good giver. He doesn't take back what he gives. It's yours to keep. However you use it, however you steward it, which is what we talked about last week, right? That's up to you. It's between you and God. We will give an account for how we steward it. We looked at that last week. But that gift is irrevocable, which means if God has given you an ability to speak, you can use that, speak, that, that ability to speak for good or for evil. If God has given you an ability to, to you know, you have, sometimes you just listen to a musician, you go, that person is gifted, right? And some people, like, they sit down and they can do lessons for years and, and, and whatever, and it just never quite sinks in. But one person, you'll give them the piano and they have one lesson, they go, I think I got this. And you what God has given to you, 
The first, per, the first uh, people that God anointed with gifts in the, Holy, in, the, in the Spirit, gave gifts from the Holy Spirit, was in the book of Genesis, and it was craftsmen to build the tabernacle of God. See, often when we talk about spiritual gifts, we think of these, you know, like ministry gifts. We think about, you know, prophecy, and we think about uh, preaching, or we think about healing, or we th- you know, all those high spiritual things. The first gift that God gave was supernatural craftsmanship ability. So if you're someone here and you, you go, you know what, I'm not very good with my words, I'm good with my hands. God has given you a gift, and it's irrevocable. The gift of God is irrevocable, but the anointing is not. For those of you maybe who aren't as good at English as the Bible, including myself, uh, irrevocable means cannot be taken away, will not be taken away, will not be revoked. But I want to tell you about a story. See, see this word anointing is a word we throw around a little bit. Uh, I think it's a word that we get used to, to using without really understanding what it means. We'll say, oh, that sermon was so anointed, or oh, that worship was so anointed. I remember listening to Grant Norsworthy, who was saying, when we call music anointed, often what we mean is that made a crap ton of money. <laughs> like that song was annoying. He said it, not, I'm quoting. It's, uh, you know, like that song was anointed. How great is our God? What we mean is it sold a lot of copies because people liked it. That's not what anointing means. But, and so we'll say that meant that was anointed. That was an, but what does anointing mean? Well, in the Bible, anointing was to set apart. It was to be consecrated for something. And so our, um, as I keep going, I want to talk about some of the examples that we see of anointing in Scripture. They used to anoint the priests. They used to anoint the kings. You could anoint people or objects. So all of the items in the temple were anointed. They were sacred items. That, that hoopah that we stood under this morning, that would have been a sacred anointed item set apart. You wouldn't just use that to dry yourself off after a shower. It would be set aside for sacred things, for farmers to stand on chairs and hold them above their heads. And, and you know, sacred things. Anointed craftsman hands, Rodney. <laughs> and so anointing was, this, was, was, a, was often done with oil and through either pouring or, or submerging. There was all sorts of different ways that they would do it. But it was, a, it was a symbol, an outward symbol of an inward work of being set apart for God. And there's a story that I want to examine this morning about someone who was anointed, but whose anointing was not irrevocable and serves as a warning for us as gifted people in his church. Some of you will already know who I'm talking about. I want to talk to you about King Saul. King Saul, the Bible says he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was charismatic. He was gifted. He just had this thing about him. When he, when he entered the room, it was like, Saul's here. Like he had a presence that kind of commanded your attention. Have you ever, you ever met someone, maybe there's someone in your family that kind of has like that matriarch role, or, and when they arrive, it's like everything changes. You know, don't talk like that anymore. Grandma's here. She's scary. For me, it's Pam. <laughs> But Paul had a certain, certain charisma about him, a certain charisma. And we're going to look at that word a little later too. And, and, and he was anointed. See, God's people had said that they wanted kings, and God said, you don't need kings. And they said, but we want kings. Everybody else has got kings. And God said, I'm doing something different. They went, we want kings. He went, fine, have kings. I promise you it's not going to work out very well. 
What I love about God is that it's the very thing that they didn't need, He still uses for His glory. And that, you know, the old song, when all I had to offer you was brokenness and strife, you made something beautiful out of it. Like God takes the former things, the, the, even our sinful things, and when we submit them to Him, when we anoint them, when we consecrate them, set them apart and say, God, I shouldn't, but I did, and I'm here. And, and he goes, if you'll let me take it now, we'll work it. So, so this whole thing about they say they want kings, and God says, okay. And so he calls Samuel as prophet to anoint Saul as king. And Saul starts out as a good, gifted, and anointed king. And as time goes on, he gets power, and power corrupts. We've looked at this as a church, right? He starts off in this influential place, but he moves from influence to prominence, and then he wants to lord his prominence not only over his own people, but over some other people. God gives him some instructions to go into this particular part of land and to, to take out a bunch of armies, and he says, like, wipe out everything, even the animals. Uh, oh, look, Ollie, I can do it. Ollie asked if I was going to get my pig in the sermon this morning. I've got a pet piglet at the moment at home. <laughs> And it's adorable, and it may be here after the service, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> kill all the animals, including the cute little piglets. Um, I couldn't, it's adorable. Um, so, Paul, uh, Saul, Saul goes and does what he's asked to do. Uh, and let's take a look at the story. Let's pick it up in First Kings, no, sorry, First Samuel, chapter 15. First Samuel, chapter 15. I'm just going to pick bits out of it. This is why I didn't give it to you, Aaron. Because we'll. Oh, is it? Okay, good. I have no idea what I did this morning, evidently. That's fine. Let's start in verse 10, which is titled in my Bible, The Lord Rejects Saul. So, spoiler alert. Uh, it says this Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and he has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul and someone told him he went down to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal, set up a monument to himself. I'm pretty sure that was never part of the instruction. And then he went on to Gilgal. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully and said, May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's command. Then what is all the bleating of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle, I hear, Samuel demanded. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, the goats and the cattle, Saul admitted. But, but, oh, gifted people always have a but. But they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We've destroyed everything else. God didn't ask him. To keep the best. See, sometimes our good intentions are still disobedience to God. God didn't ask him to keep the best for a sacrifice. He said, wipe out everything. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked? And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you. The Lord has anointed you, King of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? 
But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag. I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and planted a sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Like he's basically going, I'm a gifted leader. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Fat was another word that was used often for anointing oil. So one of the um, scriptures you might be familiar with says you will, the, the yoke will be broken because of the anointing. The, Greek tra- the Hebrew translation says the yoke will be broken because you've grown so fat. Which is the reason we changed it is because nobody wants that verse as their verse, Right? We all go, the yoke will be broken because of the anointing. Amen. The, broke will be bro- the yoke will be So in other words, what Samuel is saying is the anointing that comes from obedience is better than the anointing, the fat that you get from sacrifice. The anointing that comes from obedience is better than the anointing and the fat of sacrifice. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and, as stub- and stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, He has rejected you as king. Let's stop there. Saul was gifted. And the gift of God is irrevocable. But Saul was anointed. And because of the way that he chose to live for himself and became more interested in his own gifted, look what I have given to the Lord, God withdrew his anointing. When we pick up the story in chapter 16, we see God sends Samuel to anoint David as king. And David is anointed as king. And David receives what was meant and what was made and what was called for Saul eventually. And Saul's uh, Saul's line is broken. And it's David's royal lineship, lineage, that's the word, that Jesus himself is born into. The gift of God is irrevocable, but the anointing is not. And see, here's why. Third note on your page. God gives gifts according to his character. God gives gifts according to his character. God gives gifts because he's a good God. He gives gifts because he is a gift giver. He likes to give gifts. He's generous. He's loving. He's abounding with mercy and grace. And so God gives gifts because of his character, but he gives anointing according to ours. Right? He gives anointing according to ours. See, Saul was anointed because of his character. But then he allowed the position, he allowed the anointing, that the, what he was set apart for, to change his character. And as he changed his character, God withdrew his anointing and placed it upon the shoulders of David. God gives gifts according to his character. He gives anointing according to ours. Any Thor fans here? 
I know it's not common to talk to Nor about Norse mythology in a sermon, but I like Marvel movies, and so I can remove it from... But I, I love the scene at the start, um, you know, where Thor is being disobedient, his character, and his father takes his hammer from him and throws it to earth. But before he does, he whispers into the hammer and says, let anyone who is worthy, who has the character, have the power of Thor. And I believe that, you know, I mean, look, all other mythologies, all other things are just counterfeits of what's true in God, Right? And I believe that what God has promised us in his scriptures, and we see this in Jesus in the giving of the Holy Spirit, uh, is that when we embody the character that God has called us to, then the Holy Spirit rests upon it. Remember I talked last, uh, right back at the beginning about the indwelling and the outdwelling, or the, or the indwelling and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God's in you for your sake. The Bible says when we, when we commit our lives to Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit as a, as a seal of, of what is to come. And so I don't believe that God removes that because grace, is, that's his gift, right? But the anointing is when we talk about our character and when we look at our character. God gives gifts according to his character. He gives anointing according to ours. There's another story in the Bible which kind of goes the other way. Story of Esther. We won't go there for the sake of time, but in the story of Esther, she, she's gifted, right? And, you know, it was written in a more blunt time, but one of the ways that it says that she was gifted was like, she was hot. Like it says, God had gifted her with good looks. And he gifted her, and, and, and he gifted her with um, with a heart after the things of God. <coughs> Sorry, <I'm coughs> I thought I could move it without. Let's just pause. And so God gives gifts to Esther, and those gifts are irrevocable. But God also has a call for Esther. I remember we read in Romans: the gift and the call are irrevocable. But God also gives us choice. And so there's this whole thing with the king. Um, I think it's Artaxerxes at that time. And Esther is basically talking with Mordecai. And it's like, if you go to the king and if you, you can find favor with the king because he liked her because she was hot. Uh, and so, <laughs> I know, I'm being incredibly unprofessional this morning. And she goes, but there's this statement that Mordecai makes to Esther, which I should have given you in scriptures. Um, you can go and find it in your own time in the book of Esther. He says this, if you do not... God will bring salvation for the Jews another way. But perhaps you have been called for such a time as this. So in other words, God has an anointing for you, and if you won't pick it up, he'll find someone else to carry it. Because God doesn't go, oh, no, I had a plan, and Dave didn't pick it up, and now what am I going to do? He goes, I, I got plans. I got options. I've got a whole room of gifted people. And so, I mean, look, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm not ungrateful for it, and I see the privilege of every day. I don't think I was God's original plan for this church. I'm here picking up an anointing that was made for somebody else. I'd like to think I wear it well, but it was made for somebody else. 
And so, so God gives gifts and he has his calling. And like Esther, with all of you, you've got the gift, but you've also, when we find our gift, discover what our gift is, he goes, and there's also a calling that comes with it. It's like being given, you know, like you ever watch those videos where someone gets given a key, they unlock, unwrap a box on their birthday and they've got a key. And he's like, there's a car in the driveway. There's something that comes with the key. And God gives us a gift, and it's a key. It's one of the keys to the kingdom. And he goes, there's a calling, and, and, and a you can be anointed. You can be set apart for it. But if you don't, I'll find somebody else. I won't take the keys back off you. I'll just use another driver. The gift of God is irrevocable, but the anointing is not. But see, like Esther, her gift became an anointing when it was set apart for God. This is note number four for you, I think. Our gift becomes an anointing when it is set apart for God. Our gift becomes an anointing when it's set apart for God. Consecrated. Lord, this is for you and you alone. Paul, uh, Saul, gosh, I got to get this right. Saul received a gift, but he didn't set it apart for the Lord. He went, well, maybe I could have a little bit of it. Or maybe, maybe I could have a little bit more of it. But when it's set apart, when it's consecrated, Leonard Ravenhill writes one of my favorite books called Why Revival Tarries. Um, old school Pentecostal, a classic on revival. Um, and he doesn't hold back. But there's a particular chapter, particular chapter that I want to read to you. Chapter one, nice and easy. And it's titled, With All Thy Getting, Get Unction. Unction is anointing. It's the same word. Uh, and he says this, The Cinderella of the church of today is the prayer meeting. This handmaid of the Lord is unloved and unwooed because she is not dripping with the pearls of intellectualism, nor glamorous with the silks of philosophy, neither is she enchanting with the tiara of psychology. She wears the homespuns of sincerity and humility and so is not afraid to kneel. The offense of prayer is that it does not essentially tie into mental efficiency Although that's not to say that prayer is partner to mental sloth. If I could say this a different way, the offense of prayer is that it does not essentially tie into giftedness. He goes on, he talks about anointing preaching, because he's writing to preachers. His preaching of the type mentioned affects men, but prayer affects God. Preaching affects time. Prayer affects eternity. And the tragedy in this late hour is that we have too many dead men in pulpits giving out dead sermons to dead people. Gosh, he doesn't hold back. <laughs> oh, the horror of it, he says. There's a strange thing that I've seen under the sun, even in the fundamentalist circles. It is preaching without unction or preaching without anointing. What is unction, he says? I hardly know, but I know what it's not. Or at least I know when it is not upon my own soul. Preaching without unction kills instead of giving life. 
the unctionless preacher is a savour of death unto death. The word does not live unless the unction is upon the preacher. Preacher, with all thy getting, get unction. <laughs> I love Leonard Ravenhill. But see, what's he talking about? He's like, your gift without an anointing is just empty words. It's interesting. See, I talked about charisma earlier. Charisma, and we talk about someone being charismatic. The word charisma is Greek. It means gift. When we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, God gives a spiritual gift. It says, God gives a charisma to each of us. The word anointing is charisma. Charisma. Now you go, now like, you know, normally I would say you don't have to be an expert in Greek to know that those two words are related. In this case, they're not. Charisma and charisma come from two completely different words. And so we often go, I'm gifted, therefore I'm anointed. Charisma, charisma, it's just the same thing. But see, the Bible talks about these two things as very distinct. Talks about the charisma that God gifts gives because he's a good giver and the charisma, the anointing, which is in response to our obedience and our devotion to him, our consecration to him. Uh, let me pick a couple of verses out this morning, and then we're going to land this plane. I need to get rid of that. Uh, from 1 John chapter 2. Right at the end, towards the end. I've spent a bit of time on 1 John lately. Is this helping some people this morning? Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'll, I'll take it. Brother. I don't want to be preaching dead sermons to dead people. That's all, you know. I just, I feel the conviction. It's... First John chapter 2. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to pull some parts out of verse 18. Because everything that it starts at the book of First John chapter 2, he's like, Dear children, I'm writing to this to you so you don't sin. If you do sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. Jumping forward to 18. So everything's a new commandment. It's about loving. It's about living worthy. Uh, verse 15 says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride ourselves in, our achievements, our possessions, our gifts. These are not from the Father, but from the world. Not that the gifts aren't, but when they get caught up and we get in this wrong mentality. And the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Dear children, the last hour is here. You've heard the Antichrist is coming and many such Antichrists have already appeared. I don't want to labor on that this morning sermon for another day. Uh, verse 19, these people left our churches because they never really belonged. Otherwise, they would have stayed. When they left, it proved they didn't belong. Verse 20, but you are not like that, for the Holy One has given you an anointing. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know the truth. So I'm writing to you because, not because, gosh. So I am writing to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. And it goes on, verse 24, you must remain faithful to what you've been taught. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life he promised us. 
I'm writing you these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. But you have received the Holy Spirit. Again, other translations say you have received an anointing and it lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true for the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know when we abide in him. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. The gift of God is irrevocable. The anointing is not. Abide in him and he will abide in you. Which leads us to this application. You see, I've given you some space there down the bottom with your spiritual gifts. I'm not going to go through a whole thing of working that out. If you want some resources to help you work out what your spiritual gifts are, uh, I can potentially help you with that. Your life group leader would love to help you with that. Get involved with a life group. You can probably journey that a little bit more. Uh, But my fifth note there for you is this. Discover your gift. Live worthy of the anointing. Discover your gift. Live worthy of your anointing. See, your gift will make room for you, but your anointing will keep you there. How many gifted people, you know, have you ever, if you've ever been in charge of employing someone and you employed someone who was gifted and then found out they didn't have the character to sustain it? Like they had all the skills, what they didn't have was the character. I've seen skilled pastors with no character. They got in, they did great things, they fizzled out. I say, God, let me not just be gifted, help me to stay anointed. We don't want to just be a gifted church. We want to be anointed. We want to discover our gifts and live worthy of the anointing. Uh, I don't think I put that scripture in there, but there is, um, it's in Romans, I think it says, uh, no, Ephesians chapter four. Live, let us live worthy of the calling that we have been given. Ephesians chapter four, great verse, great scripture, whole great chapter. Go read it about um, the anointing. Uh, and again, remaining in him and what God does through us. Let us live worthy of the calling. See, because God has given each one of us a gift, maybe a couple of gifts. And I'm not going to sit here and harp on about what they might be. I want to ask you to go on a journey of discovering. If I can help your life group leader help, if the church can help in any way to discover what your gifts are. Maybe you know, maybe you have no idea. Don't try to over-spiritualize it. But God will give you a gift, but it becomes an anointing when it's consecrated for God. I'll give you an example. I recently had a conversation with someone who in, a conversa- in the conversation we had said two things over the course of half an hour, completely unrelated, but the Holy Spirit highlighted it to me. They said to me, I'm so glad God has not called me to be an evangelist. <laughs> so, okay, fair enough. I'm so glad that God has not called me to be an evangelist because I could not Evangelize. I just, I can't do it. I don't, uh, about 20 minutes later, we were talking about something completely different. And they said, oh, man, God has gifted me. I'm a great salesman. <laughs> I don't sell anything. I'm like, so what you're saying is God's given you a gift of persuasion, but you haven't consecrated it to a gift of evangelism. Because if God's given you a gift, and you go, I'm a great salesperson, I go, well, then you're probably the perfect evangelist. Because what is evangelism if not ethical sales? Right? (laughs) 
<laughs> and so maybe you're sitting here going, I'm glad God hasn't called me to evangelize. But you've just recognized that you're a gifted salesperson. Well, I'm so glad that God hasn't called me to feed the hungry. He's just made me a real good cook. <laughs> Our gift becomes an anointing when it's consecrated to him. And we go, God, this thing you gave me, whether I love it or I hate it, I give it to you. And when I give it to you and you breathe on it, Everything that God breathes on, right from the beginning of Genesis, everything that God breathes on takes life. When your gift receives the breath of the Holy Spirit and it becomes an anointing and we live worthy of the anointing. Last line and you think, when we are gifted and anointed, the Spirit will move in power. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are a good God. We sang about it this morning. You are good. You're never going to let us down. You give each of us good gifts because you are good. And those gifts are irrevocable. And we thank you for everything we have. As we talked about last week, Lord, help us to steward it well. But Lord, if we may be so bold, we don't want to just be gifted. We want to be anointed. And when I say we want to be anointed, we don't want to be special or elevated. We want to be fruitful for the King of Kings. We want to use what you have given us for your glory. So God, this morning, would you... Press on our hearts and reveal to us what gifts you have given to each of us. Lord, would we help each other to discover our gifts? But Lord, would we be challenged this morning by your word, by my words, and by the words of great uh, fearless preachers like Leonard Ravenhill to live worthy of the calling? Lord, as I look around in the media and I look at the church as a whole, I'm seeing a whole lot of gifted people who failed to hold on to their character and their anointing. Would our story be different? Would we be gifted and anointed so that your Holy Spirit would move through us in power? And that the fruit of that would be soul-saved, Lives healed, mindsets transformed, communities transformed. Would we use our gift and our anointing to lift you up? And as we lift you up, would you draw all people to yourself? We yield to you, Holy Spirit. Use us. As we've stood under your hope of this morning, and renewed ourselves to you. So you to give yourself to us. I have set you always before me. And because you are at my right hand, we will not be shaken.
may you remain at our right hand as we remain at yours in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I had a lot of fun writing this sermon. <laughs> I hope you had I had a lot of fun delivering it. I hope it's blessed you to receive it. Uh, if there's any fear that I'm losing my unction, please punch me in the ribs. Uh, I don't want to live without it. But um, God bless you. If you would like prayer for anything at all, uh, this area up the front here is, is available, um, and you can come. And myself or one of those wonderful elders that we hear this morning uh, would love to pray with you uh, and support you in any way we can. Uh, otherwise, tea and coffee is served in the other building. Feel free to head on over there. It's going to be another reasonably warm day today by the sounds of things. Not as sunny, though. Gosh, we've had some good ones, haven't we? Amen. It's so good. Bring on the change of season. And, uh, but whatever you do for the rest of the afternoon, God bless you. Uh, have a wonderful day, and we'll see you here next week. Amen.